Today I'm going to be wrapping up a series uh, that I have been entitling Called. For the months of November and December, uh, we as a church family have been looking at some texts of Scripture where God reaffirms that He still calls people. Most of you make calls on uh, one of these probably every single day. Uh, And you receive calls on one of these probably every single day. And when you do, and you're making the call, usually it's to communicate something specific to someone specific. God does the same with every single one of us. And if I had to categorize the, the calls that he makes us, I'd categorize them in these three categories. First of all, God calls you to salvation. He wants you to both know him, be loved by him, and... Uh, he wants you to know him and love him back. That's, that's what he hopes will happen, that you come into a relationship with him. Secondly, the calls to transformation, to be changed by him. Those changes you'd like to see in this upcoming year in 2021. Oh, God, please bring that quickly. In 2021, the, the changes to your character, the changes to your discipline, maybe the, the changes to your joy. God would like to help you with that. He loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And so he not only encourages us to be formed and molded into the shape of image of the life of Christ, but he also empowers me. And I love that. Then lastly, he calls you to mission. When sin entered the world, Genesis told us that it brings us disaster and disease and death. But God promised to send. Someone's going to call now. (laughs) God promised that he would send a savior to redeem that. To rescue us from everything that had been lost. And so, brother and sister, I hope with all of my heart you hear each of those calls. The call to be saved, the call to be transformed, and the call to mission. But not all of God's calls are understood clearly. I'll testify to that. Just like some of your calls are not understood clearly, especially by those who are on the the receiving end of the call. (laughs) To be honest, sometimes communication breaks down. And I thought about this week, probably one of the funniest examples of that, that I've ever heard before. A lady who loved country music was trying to call a record store. Remember the day when music was played on one of those little black objects that circled, made a circle on a little table that we called the turntable? Well, yeah, she was trying to make a call because she wanted to purchase a record from a record store, but accidentally she called a record service. And the guy at the record service answered, and she said, Do you have two lips and ten kisses in Texas? And I said, no, ma'am, but I've got three wives and 25 kids in West Virginia. (laughs) She said, is that a record? He said, ma'am, if it ain't, it sure is above average. (laughs) Calls can get messy, can't they? And they can get messy in a variety of subjects. One Sunday school teacher asked her fourth grade class, who wants to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand but one little boy. And the boy said, well... Ma'am, I'd like to go, but it sounds like that you're trying to get up a group to go now. Not ready. Which raises a tension that nearly all of us feel deep down, I think, inside, and it's this. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But I think many of us gathered here today aren't sure we'd like to get the call home today. Before we get to that, let's pray. Father, thank you for calling All of us, not just some. Thanks for not leaving anyone out. Uh, And this morning we realize we're not the only group who's been called. Uh, We lift up the Impact Church. 
Um, and I pray for David, especially as he brings the message this morning. Would you please bless them as they hear from your word, as they sing about you, sing to you, sing for you, asking you to put a song in their hearts. Together, Father, with, with the rest of the disciples here in this community and around the globe, we, we come together to say, great are you, Lord. And we thank you for the unity that you're bringing in our hearts, and we pray that it, it is seen by this world here. You promise that when they see it, they will know that you sent your son and that it mattered. That's what we hope happens. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. The Apostle Paul addresses this tension of I want to go to heaven, but I like it here too. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 23, and here's his exact words. He says, if I live, that means fruitful sacrifice for Christ, fruitful service for Christ. And I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live here, and sometimes I want to go and be with Christ. That would be far better for me. But it's better for you that I live. I don't know if you, but I sense the dilemma that Paul feels here because I think many of us feel the same. On the one hand, we can't leave now. I mean, come on, there's too many people to be reached for Jesus right now. But on the other hand, our hearts know there's no place like home. We agree with Dorothy. There's no place like home. So there's a part of many of us who long to get called home even today. Which leaves us living with this holy sense of discontent. Or put another way, Christians have to learn to cope with spiritual homesickness. Because we live with desires that the earth can make us thirst for, but we know never will fully quench. Our life is similar, I think, to fish in an aquarium. We've all seen fish in a tank. They can survive there, but they were created for something more, weren't they? Really. And friend, I want you to hear this this morning. So were you. There's a fish in South Mexico that um, the locals call four eyes. Why? Because they have two sets of lenses for their eyes. One set is to enable them to see above the surface of the water as they float along looking for food. But the other set allow them to look below while they keep an eye out for predator fish. This enables them to see into two worlds at the same time. Which is how God equips us, I think, at our baptism. By faith, we get to see into another world, and the Spirit takes off the, the, the blinders in our eyes and enables us to see a world by faith. But we also are continually frustrated by some of the things that we see here until we get to go live there. Some of our deepest desires are going to be continually frustrated. I just want you to understand that's normal. We'll look at that in just a few moments. Which is why over and over the scriptures declare Jesus followers as displaced people. They use, the scripture uses terms like pilgrims and, and aliens and nomads and strangers and campers. And at times, I'm going to confess, it's hard to be a happy camper, isn't it? In this place. Because the world gets tough at times. I mean, really tough. So much so that the Bible allows us to understand it's acceptable Christian language to groan. Paul tries to express that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 when he says, and we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we still groan because we long 
for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. So groaning is a kind of speaking in tongues. I hope you get that. But you also know that if you speak in tongues, you need an interpreter. And we have one. Paul's going to write a couple of verses later. Sometimes when we pray to God, we hurt so bad that we just groan. And the Holy Spirit is there to interpret for us to the Father. Now, if you've lived here long enough, friend, chances are you're going to hurt bad enough to groan. And I just want you to hear this morning, that's okay. And to hear the assurance that through the power of the Spirit, if you're a follower of Christ, that God's going to hear every unspoken word that you say. Now, let's be very clear about something. (laughs) Groaning is not the same thing as griping, all right? There is no gift of griping in all the New Testament I've checked. won't be in the concordance. But groaning is an anticipated language, I promise you, that's used among Christians. It's the language of people who live with a constant longing for home. And so very quickly, I'd like to share with you a couple of reasons why I specifically long to go home. Here's the first. It's a sobering respect for the existence of hell. Years ago, a well-known senator from Illinois, Everett Dirksen, was running for re-election, and a young college student came up to him at one of his speeches and said, Senator Dirksen, I wouldn't vote for you if you were St. Peter. And the old senator smiled and said, if I was St. Peter, you couldn't vote for me because you wouldn't be in my district. Some of you will get that over pot roast at lunch. There have been a lot of funny stories and some not so funny that talk about hell. But friend, hear me, the teaching of Scripture is serious. Hell's no laughing matter. Have you been to a funeral and someone says, well, at least they don't have to suffer anymore. Well, if they rejected Christ, that's not true. Friend, do not be deceived. Hell is a necessity demanded by the atonement. There have been, in the last ten years, I know, several different authors who have tried to dismiss the doctrine of hell as being something real. Jesus is going to have a problem with that. If you believe what you've sung for years about this wonderful cross of ours, then you have to understand the Son of God hung on that cross because if he didn't experience hell there, then you would. And if the risen Son of God is who he claims to be, then there is a heaven to embrace and there is also a hell to avoid. Now, is that my primary motivation for wanting to go home? (laughs) No. But please hear me, it is a biblical motivation. And one that Jesus is willing to speak of often to prevent people from experiencing it. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 10, here's what he said. Do not be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Only God can destroy both body and soul in hell. Again, it's not my chief motivation for wanting to go, but friend, I want you to hear me. I have a serious desire not to go to this place that I've given some serious thought to. And I don't want you going. For the unbeliever, this life is as close as they're going to get to heaven. And for any of us who are Christ followers, it's as close as we're going to get to hell. And trust me, there are people right now, maybe in this room, who know exactly what I mean about how hellish this life can be. But 
take heart. It's as close as you're going to get if you're walking in the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Second reason for my motivation to go home is a mounting frustration with the fallenness of the world. Wow. The longer I live here, the longer I become convinced this place is broken. The biblical word for it is fallen. It is just a mess. And Paul reveals that in Romans chapter 8 when he writes, against its will, everything on earth is subjected to God's curse because of sin. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. (laughs) This place is a mess, isn't it? But every now and then, wonder breaks through. 30 years ago today, I was able to do something I've not been able to do since I was blessed to get to do it for the last time. To watch a baby born. Tabitha Michelle Sportsman. I had the privilege of seeing both of my girls brought into this world and seeing them born has to be the two most awe-inspiring events of my life. But someday, Tabitha and the rest of my family may get to witness my exit, my death. And someone may say, well, that's just life. Death is just as natural as birth. And they'd be wrong. Because death was never meant to be. Scripture says. Birth is normal. It was designed by the Creator before the world ever got started. Death is not. It is not normal. Normal is no death. Normal is no sickness. Normal is no crime. Normal is no pollution. Normal is no doctors and hospitals. Normal is no lawyers. (laughs) Because there doesn't need to be any. Normal's no tears. Normal's no cemeteries. And the more I learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, the more dissatisfied I become with the abnormal that we live in. And it's one of the reasons God gave you a Holy Spirit, brother. To help us maintain this holy discontent in our hearts so that we don't settle for what's less than God's normal. In 2 Corinthians 1.22, Paul writes, He, God, has identified us as His own by placing His Holy Spirit in our hearts, I love this, as just the first installment of everything God intends to give me. Are you kidding me? The very presence of God is just the hors d'oeuvre? It's just the warm-up band? It's just the down payment on everything else that's mine? Bring it on! That's what Paul's trying to encourage. And so there's more coming, friend. But there's another reason why I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit is in my life and helping me feel more and more discontented with this place. He reminds me I'm not normal either. I figured someone would say amen about that. You see, I'm increasingly aware of how fallen I am, friend. Not just that the world's fallen, but I am. Since this is my last Sunday to be with you for a while, I need to interject here. Thank you for the incredible expressions of gratitude many of you have shared with us in the last couple of days and weeks. Cards and emails and letters and gifts. Gail and I have been deeply, deeply touched by that. And that's important that I tell you thank you. But this is important too. You see, some of my fallenness has fallen on some of you. And it's stained, if not ruined, some of our relationships. And for that, I am deeply, 
deeply sorry. I am a ragamuffin in process. And I hate that some of my fallenness has made some Sundays for some of you a have to instead of a get to. But God's merciful. You're about to get some relief. I didn't think you were one of them, Jer. Now for the rest of you who've come in contact with my fallenness and have forgiven me, and Jerry's one of them, thank you for choosing to do that. You didn't have to. Well, you kind of do if you want to be forgiven. (laughs) But thank you. But my failures are part of the reason why I can't wait to get home. I'm telling you, my sin makes me tired. If it makes you tired, it makes me triply tired. I find myself longing regularly to be full from the pre, the, this pull of sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit's producing fruit in my life, but I long for the day when He will complete that work. I can't wait for who I'm finally going to be when I get to heaven. Where finally my heart will love everybody effortlessly. And my mind will only entertain thoughts that are good and pure and noble. And my tongue will only speak words that are gracious and true and uplifting always. But until then, I have to live in a world that's just too fallen to ever feel like home. Regardless of where my mail is delivered. This is not a perfect world. Far from it. And I am not a perfect man. Far from it. Ah, but perfect's coming. Max Locator writes, imagine a perfect world. Whatever that means to you, imagine it. Think about it. Be creative with it. Does that mean peace? Uh, Then envision absolute tranquility. Does it mean a, a perfect world? Does a perfect world for you imply joy? Then imagine your highest happiness. Uh, Will a perfect world have love? If so, ponder a place where love just has no bounds. Whatever heaven means to you, imagine it. Get it firmly fixed in your mind. Delight in it. Dream about it. Long for it. And then smile as God reminds us no one has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Anything you can imagine, put it in the inadequate category. No one's come close. No one. Think of all the songs about heaven, all the artist portrayals, all the lessons preached, all the poems written, all the chapters drafted. When it comes to describing heaven, we are all happily failures because it's beyond us. And then he finishes with this. And so until we get there, be realistic. Lower your expectations of earth. This isn't heaven. So don't expect it to be. There will never be a newscast with no bad news. There will never be a church with no gossip or competition. There will never be a new car or a new wife or a new baby who can give you the joy your heart craves. Only God can. And God will. So be patient, he says. It's so hard. (laughs) It's just hard. And it's hard not to lose heart while we wait. And that's why the scripture is here to encourage us. Don't lose heart. Keep this in your mind. Put it in the forefront. Let it be a part of your daily conversation. Because we're not home. Home's coming. And loneliness, this is the last reason. I'm looking forward to heaven. Loneliness is coming to an end. 
Fourth reason I want to go home is this, a growing anticipation of an eternal reunion. Sister, God makes it clear that heavenly life is lived in community. That we're going to live it together. Now for those of you who are loners by by nature, for those of you who are, are loners because you hate crowds, Jesus said in John 14, just for you, in my Father's house there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place just for you. There's going to be time to spend alone in a room somewhere or a mountainside somewhere. But, listen to me, forced loneliness is going to forever take a hike. Forever. With sin removed, it pushes us to want to be alone and to be away from others because of the shame and because of the hurt. Life together is going to take on a brand new meaning for every single one of us. You see, from the beginning, God said, it's not good to be alone. It's not. Now that was before the fall. That was before sin entered the world. And it wasn't good. So that means we were designed not just for fellowship with God, but with each other. Perfectly designed for that. So I want to see that unleashed. And I want you to think for a moment with me about what that might look like. When we get to heaven, we're going to see people that we hated to lose because of tragedy or illness. When we get to heaven, we're going to see people whose faith in Jesus helped us have faith in Jesus, and we never met them. We're going to get to dialogue with some of the heroes of the faith, with with Paul in prison, with, with Esther, with Peter. And I can't wait to talk to Esau. Remember Esau? He was a bow hunter. Think we all had some stuff to talk about? Yeah. We're going to meet people from all tribes and nations, all ethnic backgrounds that have longed to be with Jesus, and we're going to celebrate together all the flavors working together to do one joyous, glorious thing is to say, how great are you, Lord. And it's going to be something, folks. I mean, maybe for some of you, the best church experience you've ever experienced just is, nah, wait till you get to heaven. I promise you, the moment that we start and the moment we see him, no more boredom. No more, oh, really? Just, wow. Amazing. And that's coming. And as soon as you get to heaven, you're going to realize you finally found the family for some of you you never found here. I saw a movie some of you have seen years ago called Antoine, actually Antoine Fisher is the name. It's a true story about a young black man who was born in prison. You heard me right, he was born in prison. His father was dead and his mother became impregnated outside of the prison, but she was incarcerated. When she gave birth to this boy, he was placed in an orphanage, and when she didn't come pick him up, he was placed in foster care. And there he endured for 14 years practically every form of abuse you can imagine a boy could experience. He joins the Navy. He's filled, as you might imagine, with a huge amount of anger. But he spent some time with a kind counselor played by Denzel Washington who kept saying, Antoine, you need to find your family. And he'd say, I don't have family. He says, yes, you do somewhere, and you need to find them. Well, he decides to make an investigation for them. He actually finds them, and they connect. And I want you to watch a small clip from the end of that movie. When Antoine comes to meet his family, they didn't didn't even know 
He, this kid existed until the day before this scene you're about to watch, some of you for the first time, some of you again. And I want you to see it because I think it's just a foretaste of what you're going to experience when we meet our family there. Let's watch. I really do think within our first few minutes of heaven, we're going to witness something like that. Now, let me make a quick disclaimer. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be old. But there will be feasting. There will be food. Thank you, God. The Apostle Paul records these words of Jesus and that promise. Many are going to come from all over the world. And they will sit down with Abraham and Isaac at the feast of the kingdom of heaven. And I can hardly wait. The best thing about the feast won't be the barbecue or the banana pudding. I assure you that. It'll be to gaze into the eyes of the one who sits at the head of the table. In heaven, there are people I long to see, but more importantly, there are some faces I've never seen. Never seen the face of my father. Never seen the face of my brother Jesus, my Lord. Never seen the Holy Spirit. 
experienced him, welcomed him, but never seen him. Paul says it's because here at best, through the eyes of faith, it's like looking into a poor mirror. Dimly is the King James version of that. It's just this inability that we have to be able to see in this realm yet what we will see with sin completely removed from the world. But this holy discontent I feel in my heart above all things is because I can't see his face. I can't see his face. But a day is coming. And this church is eight years closer and an hour closer and a couple of seconds closer than we have ever been to going home. We won't have to look into a mirror dimly anymore. Someday I'm going to see God the way that he always intended for me to see him and to walk with him and talk with him. And I can't wait for that. And here's what I think I'm going to see when I see his face. What you heard come out of that woman's mouth. Welcome. Glad you're here. Not shame. Not disappointment. Not anger. That's been a growth for me in Christ. Because the face that I so often saw early on in my walk with Christ was that of disappointment and anger and just a little bit miffed with me. Not anymore. You know what I think? God allows us here in this place, though, to taste a little bit of a glimpse, a little bit of an hors d'oeuvre of the wonder that we're going to experience when that moment actually happens. And I think he does that through, through moments when that existence touches this. Some of the ancients called it the thin place. My wife had a chance to experience that a few years back when her dad died. And most of you know she's a very, very private person. And she struggled to allow me to share this with you, but she said I could. Two reasons. One is because of the comfort and the joy that it brought her about what's coming. And number two, in order to help some of you who've held on to some secrets that you've never told because you were kind of worried people might not receive them well. Let me set the background for this. Gail's dad was in his 90s. And he had a surgery that could help him could take him home and ended up taking him home. In his last days, he spent in a care facility in San Angelo, and I'm going to play for you a recording of a response to a question that I asked Gail. The question was, some unique things happened in your dad's passing. Can you tell us about a few of those things? I'm going to play them. You can listen to that or read that conversation as it unfolds. A number of things. The first thing happened when um, he had had surgery and was coming kind of out of it sometimes. He'd come out of the morphine and would wake up and maybe say something to us. But there was just one incident where um, the girls were gone. It was just me in the room. And... and he kind of sat up and he said, oh, there you are, God. 
But he said it in the voice of a seven-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy. And it just really caught me off guard, kind of gave me the chills. And he said, where have you been? And I guess it kind of struck me like maybe he hadn't been close to God for a number of years that it would have come out in a little boy's voice. Um, a night or two later, the girls were in the room with me. And I remember him sitting up and looking at us and saying, do I have a problem with pride? I don't have a problem with pride. Do I have a problem with pride? And of course the girls and I just kind of looked at each other like, um, do you say yes to that when someone's in the hospital <laughs> feeling horrible? But, and then he just went back under. Both incidences, he just went back under. The morphine or whatever. But the one that really impressed me the most was the nursing home. It was probably two days before he passed. And he would be very coherent in the mornings because the morphine would have worn off. And I remember coming in that morning really early. I'd walk in the mornings about 6 o'clock, and I'd go see him. And I remember him making the comment that it really, really was all about love. And that had been kind of a family argument for years for us. The faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And... I don't think he liked that verse too much. <laughs> but, but I could tell in all of those things that happened that God was dealing with him. God was loving on him, drawing him. And I thought if God can do that after the grumpiness that he chose to live, <laughs> that God really loves us. That God's really I don't know when the call is going to come for you to go home. But I do know this. I want you to be ready. And if you've not said yes to Jesus, you're not ready. If you've not said yes to a cross that was of absolute necessity or God wouldn't have put him there, you're not ready. If you've not said yes to the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus and offers you the hope that he'll raise you, you're not ready. But if you are today, you find me or one of these guys. Elders, would you stand up, please, where you're at? Just right now, so people can see you. These are the elders of our church. They're the shepherds of our church. You can sit down, guys. But you find one of us. So you find someone here you trust, and you say, I'm ready to answer that call to be his. And if you've had God blocked, you can do that, you know, not just with one of these, but with your heart. And you've not been answering his calls of late. You can say today, I'm sorry. Sorry. And you can realize it really is about love. It's all about love.
and he'll take you back because that's what love does. I hope with all of my heart that you listen to his calls because life gets better as soon as you do. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thanking you for caring enough about each one of us individually that you would call us with our own unique reading tone. And um, I'm grateful that those in the past have said yes and have responded in such a powerful way that, that I'm even standing here and I'm, I have these people that welcome me to talk to them about your book, about your Savior, and about your Spirit, and about you for these years. But Father, we're asking you today, if you've stirred someone's heart to answer your call, would you, above all things, help them to say yes and to find one of our elders to find me and to give up being the Lord of their life and welcome you to do that, to participate in the only funeral that's ever going to have any significance at all, being baptized into your son, being buried in water and having those sins washed away, being raised to walk in a life they can't imagine that will never, ever come to an end that will enable us to see your face. And, and Father, I've got brothers or sisters here who have blocked you. They, they've said yes to some other calls from the world and gotten lost in them. And they're ready to come back home. And I pray, too, that they will find us also and find a brother or sister somewhere and say, you know, that calling sermon stuff, I think I'm hearing him now. And I'm ready to respond in a way that I haven't before. But we're just grateful that you're on the other end of these prayers, of this life. And we can't wait to see you face to face to tell you so. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everyone said,